0: Welcome, everybody, to the very first Public Medieval Cast, the podcast of the Public Medievalist. I'm Paul Sturtevant, editor in chief of the Public Medievalist, and for those of you who don't know, The Public Medievalist is an online web magazine. Uh, We publish articles about the Middle Ages that are looking to try to find not just exciting and interesting uh, histories of the Middle Ages, that you can find a lot of different places, but we are particularly looking at trying to find the ways in which the Middle Ages are relevant and important to people today. How they have intersection with our ideas of ourselves and each other. How the Middle Ages influence people's perception of the past and the present and the future. Essentially, we ask, why medieval matters? So I've been thinking about doing a podcast for a little while now, and just recently the opportunity kind of just fell into my lap. What happened was, at the end of Game of Thrones, I was having a conversation on Twitter with Ebony Elizabeth Thomas, and I've been asking her to write for the Public Medievalist for a long time. And she said to me, well, I don't have time to write, but maybe we could do an interview. And I said, great. And she said, hey, maybe I could invite my friend Kenitra. And I said, even better. And I said, you know what? If we're having an interview, I should probably ask Shiloh, our managing editor, if she wants to participate too, because she's got a book on Game of Thrones, and I know she's got a lot of thoughts. And then all of a sudden I said, well, I've got a podcast. (laughs) I don't know what future public medieval casts might look like. I don't know what format they're going to take. I have a bunch of ideas and things that I want to experiment with. But for now, that's what this is. This is an experiment. This is a new medium and trying to find a way to bring our ideas about the intersections between the medieval and the modern to a whole new audience. So thanks for joining us. If you've got some ideas about topics that you'd like to see us cover or stories that you want us to tell, or more. If you're someone who wants to join the team and help out with this podcast, we'd love the help. So feel free to get in touch. Go over to thepublicmedievalist.com and contact us there. We've got a heck of a conversation for you today. Three scholars at the absolute top of their game talking absolutely everything about Game of Thrones. If you're a fan of the show, and especially if you're a fan of the books, and particularly if you weren't that happy with how it ended, or you weren't that happy about how the way that women were portrayed or people of color were portrayed in that show, I get the feeling that you're going to like this conversation. Just a thing to note before we get started, though, things tend to get a little salty. What I mean by that is that if you're the sort of person who doesn't like listening to copious use uh, of the F-bomb, particularly by multiple advanced degree holding uh, experts in their field, well, this might not be for you. But if you're the sort of person that enjoys, say, hanging out with people with extremely pointed opinions about the things that you love to watch and think about and talk about, then I get the feeling this is going to be right up your alley. Okay, so without further ado, why don't we get started with our conversation? First, I'd like to introduce our panel. First on the panel, we've got Dr. Kanitra Brooks, the Audrey and John Leslie Endowed Chair in Literary Studies at the Department of English at Michigan State University. Uh, She specializes in the study of black women, genre fiction, and popular culture. She's also the author of two great books, um, the first of which being Searching for Sycorax*. Uh, which is a critical treatment of black women in science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Her current research also focuses on portrayals of the conjure woman in popular culture. We've also got Shiloh Carroll. Shiloh Carroll is the managing editor of The Public Medievalist. She also has a PhD in English literature and studies portrayals of the Middle Ages in fantasy literature, particularly in The Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones. Her book on the subject is actually called Medievalism in A Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones, and she's currently working on updating it for a paperback edition now that the HBO series is over, so be sure to look out for that. Uh, she's also a novelist. She's working on her own medievalist fantasy novel, and uh, a lot more of her work can be found at shilohcarol.wordpress.com. And last, but by no means least, we have Ebony Elizabeth Thomas. Uh, Dr. Thomas is an associate professor at the University of Pennsylvania in their graduate school of education. And her expertise is really on children's and adolescent texts, as well as the teaching of African-American literature, history, and culture in K-12 classrooms, as well as the role that race, class, and gender play in those classrooms. Her new book, which is really, really excellent. You should pick it up. It's called The Dark Fantastic Race and the Imagination from Harry Potter to the Hunger Games. Also, as one final programming note, this podcast couldn't have been done without the generous support of the Medieval Academy of America. Thank you. All right, well, thank you so much for joining me. Today, we have Ebony Elizabeth Thomas, Kenitra Brooks, and Shiloh Carroll talking to us about the end of Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones has come, it has gone, and I get the feeling that all of us have quite a few feels about it. So I'm just going to throw <laughs> this out to the entire panel and tell me, uh, it's been a week, how you doing? <laughs>
1: wow I'm still at the point where somebody brings it up I go ugh
0: okay so tell me what ugh means uh, there Shiloh
1: (laughs) I am generally disappointed with the whole series especially after about season 4 but then the last season was just I felt like a smack in the face to fans of the books even fans of the show not to mention all the problems that they've had with women and people of color and good writing. And it's just terrible. Oh boy. I certainly agree
2: with Shiloh because I knew that David and Dan were not to be, okay. David and Dan are the showrunners or were the showrunners. So um, David Benioff and Dan Weiss. Um, and I knew that something was up by uh. their adaptational choices as of seasons four and five. So yes. the decision to give Sansa Stark the uh. storyline that belonged to Jane Poole, who in the books was being used as a false aria to be married to the bastard of the Dreadfort, Ramsey Bolton. So it's already a very brutal and graphic storyline. And then to give it to Sansa who in the books is is somewhere else and has another story arc where she's learning from Littlefinger how to be deceptive and to give her an arc that lacks any agency that triggers um, survivors of sexual assault and then mm-hmm. to defend it by saying that we're too sensitive or um, some people defended the choice by saying well we didn't care about the tertiary character given that arc we just cared because it was Sansa. I knew we were not going to get the ending we deserved from those two men. They just seemed not to understand what Martin was trying to do in the books with his female characters. For me, I just imagine it ended with the Night King. Like the magic died when the magic died. And I think we have to discuss their um, inability and their lack of faith. In the magic storyline of how powerful, not, and, and, and the idea that it's all, all the magic is contained within the White Walkers and the Night King, even their consensus of making a Night King, of that's the only way we can imagine this sort of bad force or this force of evil. Um, their lack of ability to fully deal with prophecy, to pu- fully deal with how, the magic works in Martin's world. And, you know, I think we all understand that Martin isn't perfect, but Martin has made specific points to grow, to change, and to be complex. I don't think anyone is asking for perfect women characters or perfect characters of color. We're asking for complexity and to do due diligence to their characterizations. And yeah. at this point, I look at the last half of season eight as them shitting the bed. And I feel as if everything is a justification. I look at them like talking after the episode. And I was like, ju- I looked at that. Um, I started tried to start watching the last watch, that crap. And I was like, this should be titled, We Shook the Bed. We blew the landing. <laughs> and because I have an evil streak and I'm petty, my only role in life is to damage their brand. That D&D's brand is <laughs> shit. And they don't deserve a goddamn thing. And um, fine, you know, I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. I watch it, whatever. They're going to totally fuck that up. I hope y'all know that, Star Wars fans. And I just, I will literally explode if they give them that confederacy because they have oh, no God. imagination and they are in, unable to uh, examine and to build characters of color that are outside of chains. They have no imagination for it. So why would a, you? We give you something this sensitive. You couldn't deal with fake shit. <laughs> what you gonna do with real history? Okay, that's all I have to say. I'm sorry. No, it's I it's a
0: okay, totally me. fine. And I really want to follow up. Uh, follow up on what you were saying is looking at the women and the people of color that, that it was really interesting you were saying that you wanted to see that they can't imagine pe- people of color who are not in chains so talk to me about what you what you wanted it to be
2: you know and here's the thing i, I i'm a literary scholar it's not necessarily what i wanted it to be it's of are you being true to the story and i think a lot of people were like oh you're mad they made Daenerys, the Mad Queen. You're mad. You know they've been foreshadowing this. Yes. You know those of us who are fans of the show, those of us who have like done some of the reading and everything else, we realize that that has been foreshadowed for a long time. But again, you shit the bed in the execution. It's not about the. It's 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 about how you did it. Even in the books, um, uh, the Mad King. Her uh, uh what's it? Her, her uh, yes. ancestor. What what's yes. her name? Aerys Targaryen, right? It took him decades to go crazy. It took her two episodes. And as much as they foreshadowed um, the Mad Queen prophecy and all that stuff, which they screwed up, whatever, but they also foreshadowed marriage as a way to solve problems. That's how we got the Red Wedding. Why could not, and even incestuous marriage, right? Targaryens married their brothers and sisters all the time. So what was the issue with having them get married? Now, it could have been a tempestuous marriage. There could have been issues. Hell, he could have even wound up killing her. They could have killed each other. All of these things. But it's about what Ebony referred to it be- before as the choices you make. It's the lack of imagination in the characterizations of these women and our people of color. You just don't have the capacity to do it. And and it's sad, really. It's not even just an angering thing. It's sad that you can't imagine us as complex human beings. It's pathetic, actually. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I even think, you know, I was as a fan of House Targaryen, not because they were you know good or evil you know I thought Martin was explicitly trying to do the work of breaking down sort of essentialism in in fantasy so no one was completely good no one's completely evil so Mm -hmm. I was fascinated by his histories of House Targaryen and I uh, bought the world of ice and fire the day it came out five years ago (laughs) I have yet to read fire and blood but I have been active in the fandom and I'll just say this. I'm not going to say what my name is because I'm trying to keep my fan fiction away from my other work (laughs) for A Song of Ice and Fire. I'm just intrigued by House Targaryen. And so one of the problems with their ending is not as uh, Conitra says, not only did they um, just completely ignore prophecy, I think in previous interviews, they said they really weren't that interested in the prophecies. What is the Song of Ice and Fire? We don't have any explanation for any of the grand themes in Martin's novel, even if Daenerys was going to die, even if House Targaryen was destined to go extinct, we really don't have any message at the end, except vanity, uh, vanity, all is vanity. It's like, you know, I mean, you feel like Macbeth, at the end of his play that it was full of sound and fury signifying nothing. And as I keep tweeting and saying in my <laughs> fandom guys, you know, so I have fandom aliases, I did not need two super rich, privileged, cisgender, heterosexual white men telling us that the world is shitty. That's like the, they are the very last people. We don't need that message from you. We all know it. The people who are angry at them all know that. So what were they trying to contribute that is new to high fantasy, to event television? What were they trying to do other than to troll us? And so I they're just very rich 4 I mean, at this point. So what was the point of it all? You know, it's not even fun subversion of expectations. It was just, I want to piss everybody off. And that is a particular, I don't know, it's a psychological thing that that seems to be growing um, amongst certain members of that demographic and i think we we don't need to give them our eyeballs anymore i don't think that we need to patronize such entertainment not because we want disney endings because you know forget that but because they are insulting not only our intelligence but our our very existence by telling a story like that
0: and I was actually rather taken by just how Disney the ending actually came to be in some ways, where everything was sort of kind of put to rights. How I think there was one writer, I maybe on Slate, somewhere like that, that said uh, that said all of that was for a very, very minor change in government. Seriously, that's that's what we come away with this from, uh, come away from this with. So. So, yeah. How how do you, how would you. Want the ending of Game of Thrones? If if you were to redo it in fan fiction, and and I get the feeling you might, um, if you were to redo it in fan fiction, and or have already done it, um, what's what do you want to see? Do you want to see the Iron Throne broken and every uh, and all of the uh, Seven Kingdoms uh, completely shattered into pieces? Do you want to see the Night King win and kill everyone in Westeros, or is there or is there something? Uh, is there a better path? Is there a path that you really hope that Martin is going to take?
1: Oh, and I, I think based on what I understand of the books that they probably inverted the ending, that the real important thing is going to be taking care of the Night King. There's not a Night King in the books, but taking care of winter, um, And that he's set that up a bit with Stannis, who's not going to be able to ultimately pull it off. But the whole idea of if you want to rule the Seven Kingdoms, you have to act like the protector of the realm and go protect the realm. Um, And I think that them leaving out so many characters... So many characters, and then like blending John, John and Stannis, and then John and fake Aegon, and (laughs) so all the blending they were doing just kind of threw characterization right out the window to try to hit plot points. And I don't think once I think once they got past where Martin kind of left them hanging, unfortunately they didn't know what to do they were just like okay so let's finish it up get it start get it done senioritis we've got other things on deck let's go it was
2: totally (laughs) handing in like a shit paper at the end of the term because you're just ready to graduate and you just don't want i've had that student so many times and you know where you work with them all semester and they're just like i just want to go and it's like their name and it was bad yeah i agree with you um i think one of the things that always kind of turned me off from the fandom which is why i didn't um read the books until this decade i was in harry potter fandom almost 20 years ago and waiting for rolling to put out the next books and everybody was giving each other book recommendations my friend josh aronovich gave me um the recommendation to read a game of thrones he said oh it's better than tolkien and i could i remember not being able to get past the first chapter i read the prologue which was interesting it was like "Ooh, something's ominous you know so dark fantasy and then you know um it was the king is coming at winterfell and because i think because the fans were so damn obnoxious about it like we are (laughs) it was this whole better than tolkien thing and you know god love uh tolkien he was racist he didn't know how to write women. He was still the father of modern high fantasy. And so I thought that was a pretty tall claim to say that you're better than than Tolkien. And so the fans were so obnoxious about this being the best fantasy ever. I didn't turn back to it until... Uh, my third try at watching the series, so it took me three times to latch onto the series because I kept stopping at certain points where it just got to be, you know, the sexual assault got to be too much, the body horror, body torture, you know, not even in a good horror way, but like. You know, the whole Ramsey Bolton and how he tortured Theon to make him reek. And then he's eating the, and I'm just like, you know what? I don't have time. What really got me going with A Song of Ice and Fire were two things. So in season four, we get the introduction of Oberyn Martell. I said, Ooh, who is this fine chilly actor? Ooh. And then to, to hear there's a whole kingdom of people of color who they had kept under a rock. All that time. Mm-hmm. And so I think that ultimately for the ending, um, you know, one of the things because David and Dan is beyond their imagination to imagine that the POC kingdom among the seven is the most powerful. The Targaryens only respected Dorne, the ground people in Dorne, because they were the ones who were unbowed, unbent and unbroken. So you have the Prince of Dorne sitting at that Stupid council. And Sansa gonna take her little butt... I don't even call her Sansa. She's Shosa. Because that is not my Sansa <laughs> start. Her brother's already you know the kings you know the king of the six kingdoms I guess and I don't have a problem with Bran being the fisher king from Arthurian legend I do have a problem with the white folks up north getting their freedom and the southern people of Dorne not getting their freedom I had an issue with No Princess Arya Martell look at this young woman who's playing Jasmine in the live action um, version of Aladdin she could have very well played or another brown actress from um South Asia, from, you know, the Latin American world could have, that could have been a career making role for her. Arya Martel is, you know, the princess of Dorne and she's huge in the books. She is the mm-hmm. heir um, after Oberyn, So it's like, the, the as, as a matter of fact, Oberon's not even the heir, actually. It's, you know, um, uh, Alexander Siddick's character, his daughter. She's the heir because women inherit in Dorne. So Martin, even though he be a cishet man, put all these, you know, sort of, you know, seeds of potential or liberatory things around women and people of color in the books, imperfect. But he's trying to really think through high fantasy in the 90s. And David and Dan... They couldn't even adapt her. So we know Arianne is important to the end game. We know that the fake A-gun may marry her. We just know all this stuff from the books I won't ruin. But they just, they chose to make Dorn into porn. And so that is... um that was my huge problem. I think that the end game in the um, books is definitely going to be a song of ice and fire, not fire and ice obliter- obliterating each other. I think that, you know, should Danny die, just like John got resurrected, she could get resurrected too. They left so many plot points hanging. So, yeah. Can I just say that... um <laughs> Uh, I refer to it and, and thank you for speaking on that. I haven't read all of the books. I'm I've been a show fan and I read a lot of the ephemera around the show and those sorts of things. I look at the like the the little cartoon things and all that stuff, and my <laughs> my best friend, she's like, she's gone down the rabbit hole. She's with all the rest of y'all, like <laughs> writing fan fiction and everything else, right? But I refer to this and to what Ebony was talking to as white fanboy hubris. The thing is, you limit look at how big this show is think of how much bigger it could have been if you had the imagination to <laughs> to imagine you know um uh, like dawn of how it actually is uh they are the ones who actually fooled the targaryens time and time again right and they fooled them at their own games they fooled the dragons they pulled the dragons. They couldn't. They couldn't fully conquer them, right? So you know to have this, but even to have it where you have um, you have Grey Worm and Masandy, right? And they are freed. But you can't imagine enslaved people saying "fuck y'all," we got freedom. We're going to do our own fucking thing right now, fuck you all, Mm. right? (laughs) You know that, oh, I owe this allegiance to you, I have to see it through to the end. Now the Wildings, they left, they were like, yo, bro, we wanted to live through the night, through the winter, deuces, we got our shit, we gone, right? And I'm just like, why are the Unsullied there? Why are the the, the Dothraki still there? And I know, yeah, you have these allegiances, all these things, whatever, whatever. But also, fuck this, at a certain t- point in time, this becomes white people's problems. And it's no longer, I have no allegiance to you. I have nothing to do with you. They have homes. You know, Grey Rhymes going to the Isle of Nott right after Sandy's death. These people have places to be other than in Westeros dealing with your shit. And he makes the mad queen at the end the head of all the dark, evil people of color that are just causing all of these problems. You have at the end all these, what I what I, I read it on on Twitter. I have no idea where I got this, but I'm totally stealing this. But this is not mine. I was not this smart. Of white men failing up, right? Tyrion <laughs> fucked up for the last three seasons, but he's still the hand, <laughs> right? Um, brand has seen the future, ain't clued anybody in on a goddamn thing. Right? He gets to be the king. And yeah, okay, Arthurian legend, whatever, whatever. Fuck that, we're moving on. (laughs) Um, I just don't get it. Well, I do. I get it. It's the hubris, right? And what I also want to say is that they can't do this again. Yeah. I think the audience has become too smart. The fantasy audience has become um, too feminized, too aw- much aware of gender, too much aware of uh, the white supremacy inherent in fantasy. And you know, you had dim thrones and whatever, and you know, black audiences and stuff it's like, oh, okay, foolish once, that's cool, great. But they can't do this anymore. If this was to start right now, they would get ripped. And so that's why I say that my ultimate caring about what comes out of this is to ruin the D&D brand. I want you to, die. I don't want your grandchildren, babe, to get a damn job in Hollywood. That's how 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 forceful I am about this.
0: You're going full Dracarys on them.
2: Oh, I don't care. And this is what, you know, and I should've, I should've, you know, when, okay, when the, at the, in the very first part, the thing is Jason Momoa, my hormones got me into it because Jason Momoa was Kyle Drago. And I was like, I won't be kidnapped by Kyle Drago and be in a tent with Jason Momoa. But I should have known because even in the first episode, the colored folks were late. Remember? And they were like, oh, (laughs) the Dothraki are always late. And I'm like, hmm, something wrong here. You know, there are so many clues and, you know, it's my fault. My fault. I ain't going to do it no more though.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I was always taken aback by, by Grey Worm's turn as well, even more so than Daenerys's turn, by Grey Worm's turn towards being a unrepentant sort of quote-unquote war criminal, the fact that he was the one to start the riot at the very end, when in point of fact, actually, it would have been, I think, far more of an interesting and satisfying narrative if Grey Worm was the one to say, no, Daenerys has gone too far, I have to kill her and then take all my people and say, fuck y'all. I'm out.
2: Yeah, that was one possibility. Also, um Paul, I'm thinking about how angry we think the fandom thinks. And Shiloh, you're in fandom with me and, you know, you're down the rabbit hole, too. Um, <laughs> the resurrected John in um david and dan's hands was just terrible we think that john is going to get resurrected and be pretty angry you know like his undead status you know it's supposed to change him also where you know just like danny is destined to go mad because of, um, Eris and all the Targaryens go bad, which is a show only thing that just drives me wild because most of the Targaryens were not mad. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, but what I was gonna say is that even with Jon Snow's characterization, there's been so much ink spilled over Danny going OOC. Um, I just think that Jon Snow as a character, I don't buy that he's undead. I don't buy that he's grown in eight seasons. So mm-hmm. being stabbed by his brothers and then resurrected, it shouldn't just have changed him to get, you know, justice against those who killed him, which he did, but it should also fundamentally change his character. So, mm-hmm. I mean, with him being undead, you know, and then he falls in love with, you know, a woman he finds out is his aunt, you know, shit, he's a zombie, you know, like his ethics and his, you know, I didn't see where he changed. I also didn't see where the narrative commented on him being just as much stark as Targaryen so he rides the dragon a couple of times and it's like whatever he's still a Stark yes he is but he's both ice and fire he's supposed to be Stark and Targaryen and so that's just one of many places where I think the narrative failed in the end because Jon displayed very little character growth not only from season to season but when his um,
1: existential status changed that's a problem and they've set up um, I mean, they left out Lady Stoneheart, which was a terrible, terrible mistake. But they set up that you're even with Rollo's resurrection, you're not the same person with Barrick. It's there, and then they just kind of went, "Okay, he's not dead anymore. Let's move on." Instead of doing they something can't with it. the magic, and that's yeah, the yeah. thing. It's it's that
2: it's it's. I I think because it's a complex idea. That they can't, really, I, I really think at this point that they are simpletons. I really truthfully do. That they can't handle anything above, like, a certain grade level in characterization. And I think the absolute worst that you can ever think about anyone about these people. And so, but I also want to say that um, as the vice president, the you know, current vice president of the I Hate Jon Snow fan club, um, <laughs> I just have not seen enough hatred of him because he is just, I mean, he, he has this false morality that simply gets people killed. And they have put him up as this, this idol of what someone is supposed to be. And he simply, you know, and they were like, oh, John Snow should be king. He should be the leader. And I'm like, the last time he led people, he got stabbed in the heart by a kid. And yeah. rightfully so. He should have been stabbed in the heart by the kid. So I just don't understand. It's this, you know, this need for this like cis white male dominance that doesn't even serve your own story. You undercut the sense of your own story because of your prejudices and investments in white supremacy and patriarchy. So, so that's the thing. It's, it's the lack, it's not just a lack of imagination. You, Take away from yourself. You take away from the awesomeness and the gifts that Martin tried to give by investing so much in this one idea of who can be in charge.
0: Well, he was the most electable one, right?
1: Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I was about to say, unless you take the sense of it to be that Braun quote, maybe it is all just cocks in the end. (laughs) Yeah, Um,
2: speaking about the end and like it all being Cox, why didn't the narrative um, let Davos and Gendry, our um, lowborn characters who, you know, working class, Detroit revolutionary, Detroit worker, (laughs) me, I love those characters. I love Davos and I love Gendry because in the books, you know, Davos has schemed his way or not, you know, he's become friends with Stannis Baratheon and he becomes, you know, he elevates his class and then Gendry is like I just hate fuck all these highborns I can't stand any of them but then they're sitting right there in the council when Sam proposes democracy and neither of those fools said anything and I'm just yeah. like how did you twist the characterization and if you're going to bring back well Davis is a viewpoint character but Gendry's a minor character what the hell did you bring him back for if he wasn't going to you know sort of bring up like yeah you know I came from nothing I can't read maybe you should have a council with highborns and lowborns, but they couldn't even do anything with class. So not only are they crappy when it comes to race and gender and sexuality, we haven't even gotten through, you know, their exploitation of Dorne's um, sexual liberation as just, you know, um really? cishet white male gaze fantasy. Um, they can't even think about how the class structure is going to change. Let me tell you, <laughs> I agree with every, all the fangirls um, deep in the fandom on my ships and on everything. Um, somebody's going to conquer the Seven Kingdoms or the Six Kingdoms within like 10 years. I mean, the way okay. they left it. I mean, I hope that Kinvara, they they bring Danny back to Westeros. I mean, they bring Danny, Drogon took his mama over to shy or somewhere in Essos. They found that one Remaining red priestess, she resurrected, and I hope Danny comes. That black one that was there. Remember the black one that was there for like two seconds. Remember her. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. <laughs> and then they, she come back and she take over everything. And because I'm like, what kind of political structure? So you you messed up the magical ending, but then you also the political ending makes no sense. I don't mind Bram being the Fisher King, but Tyrion as hand. The people sitting around that table putting people who don't know what the hell they're doing in charge of all the kingdoms what the hell is the north going to do for an heir because you didn't give Sansa you know any way to procreate because she is a strong independent woman who don't need no man I'm like what is your ending it's a big F you to the fans that's what it is and Arya you you made her an assassin not to kill Cersei like what y- and okay, I okay, I do go down the YouTube rabbit hole, so I watch you know all the like the Alt Shift X and um uh Talking Thrones, all that stuff. And you could see towards the end, even they were like, This don't make no goddamn sense. And this man was like, I didn't made this money and made this show off of Game of Thrones, but I'm still like, Oh, he's like. Oh, they're sitting around planning, attacking Cersei when, when and there's like an arrow on area. We have like a special team force ourselves who can wear other people. We can just send her in to kill everyone. I, that's why it ended at the death of the Night King for me. Nothing else. I'm foreclosing on the rest of it. <laughs> that was the end of the show. Wow. <laughs> how, how amazing it ended. Um, season eight <laughs> episode <laughs> that's hilarious yeah they really didn't pay off Arya's plot at all now she's going to go be what dora the explorer or a or a colonizer you know she's going to be some imperialist somewhere and go and discover people who have been there for millennia like oh i'm discovering you like really
0: yeah i really don't want to imagine christopher columbus as someone who's even more murderous that's not a good idea
2: oh man i tell you that show that show
0: so here's the question. I mean, oh. we've, 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 we've spent all this time and yeah, rightly criticizing how it ended. I don't, why do we care? Why do we care?
1: It's so influential. Incredibly so. It got everybody's attention. Yep, I agree. I agree. And it
2: set the bar for, you know, how many other people are getting shows? And that's why I said they, they can't do anything like this again. Um, you know, I what I do, um, you know, I'm not going to watch the spinoffs because I'm like, fuck y'all. Why? Why am I going to invest this time? I'm waiting for, you know, we have the Ballad of Black Time coming out. We have the Broken Earth series. I'm so glad we have, uh, the stuff that Nettie's doing. She's got <laughs> Who Fears Death. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also doing, uh, Wild Seed and all these things. I'm ready. I, I you know, this has reiterated of who's. Whose entertainment I will consume now. I can't yep. handle this. You know, the pop culture is so influential and so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And what I don't like is that people say, well, oh, it doesn't really matter. Or, oh, it doesn't really, you know. You know, people are naming their child Khaleesi. Right? You know, this is so powerful and it has such a lasting impact. And that's why I, again, I, I, I know I'm repeating myself, but the lack of imagination and the limitations that they place on themselves, that's why that is such an important point of contention for so many fan girls, queer folks, people of color, black folks, etc. cetera. Yeah. You're screwing yourself. and you, And we can see it because we've been screwed by this for so long. We yeah. know how powerful it is. And you know what, i am also, I agree with Kenitra because I'm starting to see in the fandom the limits of transformative works. So the big three franchises um, of young adult fantasy and science fiction, which was Harry Potter, The Hunger Games and Twilight, I didn't like any of the epilogues that they tacked mm-hmm. on to the series, but I've gotten so used to fixing endings through transformative fandom either i'll write a fix-it fic or i'll read and consume others but what i'm finding is that this week or for the past month the consternation in game of thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire fandom has been so deep. It has been the anger, the dismay, the upset. People are writing fix-it-fix. But I think, as Kanitra mentions, I think we're reaching a turning point where transformative fandom, where people read and write the self into existence and problematic narratives, we're reaching a point of no return. People are really angry. They're saying fix-it-fix is not enough. And they want the source material to be more responsible. Now, that's not restricting the storyteller's agency to tell whatever story they wish. The problem is that, you know, the story must make sense in the end. For instance, I famously, I shouldn't say famously, but kind of famously within Fandom World. So I got a fan lore page. I really did not like Ron and Hermione being together because Ron reminded me and my high school boyfriend. Right? But here's what I didn't do. I didn't disagree with the narrative because I saw it happening in the fourth book. And so I just wrote fan- so this is something different that just happened. I didn't expect that Daenerys Targaryen was going to be a hero- was going to be the Shiro, or that she and Jom were going to ride off in the sunset with their little dragon riding babies. I did not expect that. But what I did expect was a narrative with payoff. And so yeah. even though I disliked um, some aspects of the ending of the ending of, say, Harry Potter, I think that Rowling completed that story and tied all her ends and there was adequate payoff. You know, even if I didn't like the ending, I couldn't quibble with it because it made sense with this. I am dismayed that Martin hasn't come out to disavow the ending. Maybe he's contractually obligated not to do so. But until he does so, I'm to the point where I'm not going to read The Winds of Winter until someone else reads it and tells me what's in that book. I will be thoroughly spoiled before I read it. That's how incensed I was by the fact that my intelligence was um you know um well what i keep saying is like don't tell me that shit is sugar that's like <laughs> tweeting i've been saying it in fandom so what you're saying is that for foresh- you know it was foreshadowed that danny was going to be mad and so right now okay danny stand here um we're you know some people in my side of the family were saying character development is not the same thing as foreshadowing. And like both Shiloh and Kanitra have said, they have jettisoned all character development to rush mm-hmm. to their ending. Rather than give the show to Brian Cogman, and say, you know what, guys, peace out. You know, Brian Cogman, mm-hmm. who wrote his last episode, was um, the best of the season eight. The best episode was A Night of the Seven Kingdoms, 802, where it was a character. All character episode. Give mm-hmm. Brian Cogman the final three seasons of this series give him seasons eight nine and ten mm-hmm. let him wrap it up or better yet why not have him and a woman showrunner so okay. you have you add a woman and then you have somebody who's a fan of the books and you do it but it's hubris as kanitra said it's extreme hubris you must and it's it's subjugation as well it's narrative and imaginative subjugation where no one else could do this except for you and you mm-hmm. wanted to just slam the door on your way out and people will remember I think that they're trying to beat the audience mm-hmm. into submission but people are going to remember this and hold it against both them and HBO Martin has to come out and say something he has to he did say the thing with uh, he said like oh it's kind of different I, I saw him as like double speaking uh, I mm-hmm. think he was with EW and he mm-hmm. was like oh well you know I'm kind of doing something a little different there um, of how I'm going to reach it I think he, he was he probably put that past his lawyer. I'm like, how much can I say? Can Y'all I messed up my, my goddamn story. God story. <laughs> What's all this paperwork and I want? Because he gets paid from, you know, he still gets paid from the show. So it's like he mm-hmm. wants mm-hmm. to not mess up his coins. But this is about his legacy. Now, he yeah. has said he didn't do what his fans did. So his fans in the early Song of Ice and Fire fandom said, better than Tolkien. So he didn't do that. But he did. He has been very clear that he is trying to do this grand critique of Tolkien. And brother, that's a huge claim. Mm -hmm. And if you don't land, stick your landing. You know, so I, uh, you know, he reminds me of Icarus. You know, it's a it's a grand ambition to want to, you know, tangle with Tolkien because you know there are things that Tolkien he writes women better than Tolkien did. But if you don't stick your landing, I can't say that you wrote women better. If you take Danny down the Mad Queen route after having Mad Queen Cersei, so you're already telling us a Mad Queen story. Yeah, oh, you man. must have something else going on in that Daenerys story that. And I don't know what he's going to do. Maybe he can do and it. Seriously but... killed by a damn rock. Really? Really? <laughs> by a rock? By with Jane. With Killing. Custer did Waldo. you see is his name Nikolaj? Nikolai. Nikolai. He Waldo. was one Nikolai was so angry. Did you see? Wait, no, <laughs> did you <he was laughs> see the okay, so the, the last watch sucked. But what was worth it was seeing the table reads of the, fir- of, the of season eight. And the only one who didn't have a poker face was Kit Harrington. Amelia Clark's face was reading, it and she's like, "Motherfucker, y'all done fuck me over." You can see, and then they interviewed her, and she, and they were like, "What do you think of this?" And she's like, "Oh, it's a doozy, right?" Yeah, I you saw can that. tell. And he was like, "Y'all trying to torpedo me, and just, just watch." And it's in the first twenty minutes because the rest of it is crap. But the first twenty they do the first table read and just watch Emilia Clark's. and even like the people seeing Varys and Varys like this ain't going the way that and you know because actors know and they're like oh shit what have even Tyrion the dude who played Tyrion he's like um they're the best ever and I was like yo there's so much shade in that statement that's there um and as for Ebony for your point I just want to say. I think to reiterate some of the things that that we've been saying, the power Mm -hmm. of social media. Fans Mm -hmm. can speak back in ways that they never could before. And, you know, even people were making fun of that that, um, petition and that a million people signed it. And someone was like, oh, that's only 10% of the people who watched it. But that's the 10% that guides everybody else. Those are the first adapters. You know, those are the people that show, let people know that something is hot, right? And you have to be beholden to those people who are that vocal, right? There's a reason why influencers exist. There's a reason why all those talking thrones and all shit, all these people are making all this money. You know, they have the dude who does... um. Uh, what, at Awesome, uh, Emergency Awesome, they had him on the set. Oh, really? <laughs> Charlie went on the set. Oh, yeah, he got to do, like, some stuff with them and go to, like, the premiere. Like, he got to do some secret stuff and mm-hmm. whatever and like that. You know, these people are influences and they are powerful. And you piss them yeah. off. Yeah, yeah. There are now consequences. There are serious consequences for your actions. And beware of them. You can do what you want. That's what I tell people. You can do what you want. You can do whatever you want, but you got to handle the consequences of what you choose to do. And they don't like that. And they're not going to like it, but they're going to get it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I want to go back to a point that Ebony was making, actually, about, about that this is, uh, an attempt to try to one up Tolkien. That this is an attempt to try to do something that's better than, better than this, the sort of legendary father of fantasy. But the question I get, I have is, why do we keep, as a society, why do we keep going back to the well that Tolkien dug? Why do we keep, doing high fantasy in this way why
1: why i'm again gonna say influence tolkien was enormous that's where a lot of people the first major fantasy they read and they just kind of kept doing it and then all of the people coming after him like good kind etc just kind of kept doing that but less skillfully (laughs) which is i think part of when martin's like Responding to Tolkien a lot of it also Is he's like the Tolkien imitators Who have disney the Middle Like he really respects Tolkien But then he looks at like good kind and goes <laughs> Let's fix this <laughs> This isn't at all what, was tra- what we were trying to do With the Middle Ages fantasy So let's fix it And that's what he went into um, A Song of Ice and Fire with Partially I think that was a major influence But not the entirety of his thematic Backing is what he was trying to do
0: So tell me a little bit more about Goodkind and why uh, and how he went sideways in terms of uh, in in terms of medieval-esque fantasy.
2: Um, I, I thought I that, see. you know, what, what his, what Tolkien's later imitators, and I, I might have read Good Kind in, like, a long time ago in high school, but I was more of a, um, Shannara fan. I, I think that the imitators, um, who might have, quote unquote, Disney-fied fan, fantasy, they went to Tolkien's well, but kind of bedazzled it a bit and tried to set, like, they weren't as, I don't want to use the word obsessed because maybe that's an ableist word. Tolkien spent five decades at least building his, I mean, he began building Middle Earth in the trenches when he was in the trenches of World War One, And then he never stopped until he died. Um, he really was obsessed with building this alternate world in ways that I think I did see Martin doing, but that I didn't see other fantasy authors having the patience to do, where you're spending decades thinking about every single alt- alterity, you know, world-building aspect. You're building languages from the bottom up. You're thinking about the different eras of that world and how change happened, not just social change, um, geologic change. You're thinking about, like, so... I think that one of the reasons why the imitators' world seemed thin is that you really can tell, and this is something I have to say about YA fantasy, and I'm going to say, and people are going to be like, "Oh my god," because you know I'm trying to also write some, you know, YA fantasy, black YA fantasy, but I I do not think that worlds that are thin stick as well mm-hmm. as worlds that are thick. And more well considered. And the reason why we love Martin and we're so angry right now is because, yeah, the world of ice and fire, other than the linguistic stuff that, um, you know, Tolkien did, it's just as well realized. So Martin has spent the past 20, 30 years, you know, almost 30 years, really Building out not just the world we see or the era that we're getting in a Song of Ice and Fire, but this world feels rich. There's religion. There's thousands, tens of thousands of years of backstory. There are mysteries that even the most magical characters have no idea. The deep ones, you know, we can tell he's building from Lovecraft and from mm-hmm. other influences beyond Tolkien. And so it's mm-hmm. it's really, you know, I don't want to denigrate Martin's achievement. If I meet him, I'm just going to, I'm probably going to fangirl out, even if he does, <laughs> you know, ruin my faith because the world is just so rich. Mm-hmm. Now, is it, you know, still problematic that all the people in the Summer Islands run around naked and they get slayed, you know, get enslaved easy? Nah, they ain't cool. I'm going to talk to him about that, too, once I finish fangirling. But I really do think that he made an attempt to build us an entire world. And that's why we love it. It's a world that we can escape into and play in. It's, it's There's scope for the imagination. Can fangirling. I say also, I'm not a token person. I, 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 I couldn't get into it. I couldn't get into the overwhelming whiteness of it, um, particularly at a certain age. I got into fantasy sort of through the back door. And I haven't really started to get into fantasy until later in my career where, um, we get like a NK Jemison. like NK turned me into fantasy because I was just like, I really don't care about these people. I can't enter this world. I can't do this. I I, I don't have the, ex- I'm not willing to expand myself enough to do this because I don't want to work this hard to be able to, um, to be able to identify with these characters and I refused to because now there are options. And I was like, you know, I, I found myself in horror. That's why I'm a horror, um, yeah. a horror scholar. I found my stuff in science fiction. Um, I, I, I really, what really was the entrance for me has been being able to get into it in like a, the television series, like a Game of Thrones. Um, even the movies like Conan and Barbarian. I like Sword and Soul, so, um, I say the sort of soul, but yeah, those sort of sandal. Yeah, Yeah, I know. Now I'm in sort of soul, right? You know, and I I just, you know, I've had to, as a fan, draw boundaries of where I'm willing willing to give my eyes, to give my money, um, to give my time and energy to. And I think more and more people, people are saying, oh, you're playing identity politics and those sorts of things. Yes, because other folks have been playing it a lot longer than we have right um and to do the work to do the identification with it i don't have the wherewithal anymore and more yeah. and more more and more of us have options yeah. i i continuously want to put this into something that's solution based and not just like shake our fist at it we have things coming out we have our own series we have Women and queer folks and POC and Black folks, you know, where we're doing our own work and now we're getting the money to visualize it. So you can really go screw yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you I get totally funding now. I'm so I'm sorry. I'm just like angry Black. They're gonna be like, oh my God, that girl's such an angry Black woman. Whatever. I'm pissed off. Don't you really? You, really. Once he killed, they killed Miss I was like, fuck you all, all y'all could die. Everybody, even my girl Arya, even my girl Sansa, everybody up in this piece can die. Yeah. And I it's a really a choice to kill a black woman character, particularly when she's the only, only, only. black woman character in your show. So yeah. when they did that and when they put her in chains and when they beheaded her, Beheaded her in chains. Beheaded her in chains. And that was the moment I was like, excuse my French, these motherfuckers can't get their hands on another black woman character ever again. And that was when war was declared. (laughs) yeah I was I was I was the same way also you know they put in gratuitous things that aren't in the novel so for instance I'm wondering if the northerners race, the racial politics of Westeros mirror oh. our own but in the books I don't know that the northerners would you know be like some southern you know or yeah. you know white supremacist KKK yeah. member so the way they chose to adapt that like the Westerosi in the books have seen and they are aware People of color, there's actually a king sure. from the summer isles at the court, mm-hmm. um, King Robert Baratheon's court, and there's actually, um, the, the prostitutes who they have in the books. Mm-hmm. Now, I get why they didn't do this, but you know, they're black, so it's not, you know, like it's, um, um, I can't remember the, the, they have strange names, I can't pronounce them, but there were two black women who were at this brothel in the books, and so. Along with Dorn and along with, I get why 10 years ago, they chose not to make the first black women we see on the show prostitutes. That was, that would have been, that but was a But slaves are okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> but slaves are okay. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, in Martin's world, you know, you have prostitutes, you have enslaved people. Dornish, I think are more brown than, you know, maybe people of African descent, but even um, Valyrians, which is what the Targaryens are, they're, they're seen as and positioned as different racially, than white people what i think to, uh, what i do think martin is doing there is tolkien's eldar his elves are very are different than actual humans so the valyrians they're human but they're different racially so they're pale white people but they're like albino so it's like the race you see where martin was struggling and straining against the conditioning that he probably grew up with as a 70 year old white guy from New Jersey, but he was really trying to, insofar as much as he could, deconstruct some of the racial, gender, and class politics that are just mm-hmm. taken for granted in Tolkien but Javen and Dan read those books and all they wanted to do was adapt The Red Wedding and he gave them the books because he um, they guessed that Lyanna uh, Stark was Jon Snow's mother and Rhaegar Targaryen was his father and anybody who read A Game of Thrones and read Ned's Fever Dream knows that that probably was the case like everybody knew R plus L equals J after you read A Game of Thrones so I almost wish he had been a little more discerning in choosing who to adapt his show my best friend doesn't think they actually read all the books she's like these motherfuckers are perpetrating girl she's like i don't think because there are some like songs and stuff like listen i can say i didn't read the books but i ain't make a show off of it right or
1: millions of dollars right or was in charge of it um she doesn't think that they've read all the all the books I would totally agree with that. Honestly, they've made so many mistakes in just like off the cuff talking. Where I'm like, no, no. There, um, there was one where they were asked, um, which non POV character did you enjoy adapting most? They're like Sam, <laughs> and everybody was like, um, S- Sam is a POV character. They're like, he is.
2: See. <laughs> See.
1: <laughs> We yeah.
2: should put that out. We should put that out. Y'all falling for these dudes, they ain't even read the books. Have they watched Star Wars? I don't think so. Oh, oh poor Star Wars fan. Mm. Do they know what happened in the Confederacy? I don't think so. <laughs> show me your notes. I want to see notes. You know how in math you got to show your work? Show your work.
0: <laughs> so one thing I wanted to ask uh, about is I know that Shiloh and Ebony, both of you, are all re- uh, you are also... Uh, in addition to scholars, you're writers yourselves and so you're trying to write uh, new fictions, new fantasies that are doing that are doing this better so um, so Shiloh, why don't you tell me a little bit about your the book that you're working on?
1: Oh goodness um, mine is it's, um the elevator pitch is it's the Viking invasions of England with dragons <laughs> <laughs> and LGBTQ representation and racial diversity. So are they sexy Vikings? (laughs) They can be. Yeah. (laughs) There are no horned helms here, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, I kind of went into it going the, this medieval fantasy thing doesn't have to have this much patriarchy and it doesn't have to be this white. So let's try to do something else. And I'm not going to swear that I'm doing Absolute best with the the racial stuff because I am a white woman, but I'm doing the best that I can. And if anybody comes at me like that's wrong, I will take it and I'll try to do better the next time.
0: And that's all you can do, really. Yeah,
1: actually, yeah. Well, I wanted I wanted to see myself in
2: fantasy, and now everybody knows that since I wrote the Dark Fantastic and they read all about how I longed to see myself in fantasy. So I decided I was going to turn make a 17 year old. Hurricane refugee from from um, the Mississippi Delta into a shapeshifter, and he has no explanation for why he's starting to change shape, especially during really emotional moments. And then he finds out that. Okay, this is very Black Panther-esque, but we're just going to roll with it. That he is the heir to a magical dynasty, but his um, father, he doesn't know this father is still living, is sort of the big bad in the series. He's the antagonist. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to not only interrupt sort of traditional Western fantasy, but originally I was doing a pan-Africanist Fantasy Based on the stuff I read in my um, folks home when I was growing up, but because I've listened to post Black Panther critiques, I've actually deep pan Africanized the thing and it really is a black American fantasy where I, I'm in. So it's I'm trying to build. So what I'm having the kids do book by book is sort of trace backward Through Black U.S. fantasy. And I'm trying to use our spirituals and our um, (laughs) magic and our superstition to actually build high fantasy. So I'm trying to world build off our stuff. So the first book is very Detroit. It's very post great migration. And like I said, um, I have a boy and a girl protagonist. And Mm -hmm. so the boy is... From, you know, spend time in New Orleans, was born in Mississippi, spend time in New Orleans, where Kanitra is from, and I'm going to yeah. have her as one of my sensitivity readers so I don't mess up, <laughs> because just because all black folks ain't, you know, we ain't I all alike. Uh, right and then um the girl um was born and raised in detroit and she dreams about bringing Motown back but then she also has these abilities and um she you know so both of the kids are conflicted like the boy just wants to be left alone and he has this legacy and the girl wants to you know be this amazing singer but she's not fully human and she has this other destiny and so i'm really having a good time right i'm almost done and my agent is brooke sherman so hopefully be submitting in the fall manuscripts. So yeah. what does he yeah. shape shift yeah. into? A guru <laughs> No, no, no. I, but he should, he should, he should. I was like, is it a Luguru well, I'm thinking about, like, when they're young, they have one alter shape. And of course, because I was being stereotypical as fuck during the first few iterations of this. It's a lion. But I'm mm-hmm. thinking that mature shapeshifter should be something like Marvel's Mystique. You should be able to alter your shape into whatever the hell you want. But then he doesn't find, you know, I'm giving away my book. Um, he doesn't, you know, find that out until, you know, a few more stages now. But, you know, like, you start shape-changing. I almost, you know, I think I was more influenced, maybe not. by Black Panther but by werewolf you know mm-hmm. so it really did have horror I've told Brooks this I said I really do think i was almost more influenced by horror than high fantasy although high fantasy is my favorite genre because of not seeing the blackness there so you know this yeah. horror of shape shifting and not knowing what to do with your body it mirrors not just blackness and realizing that you're this black boy turning into a man walking through the world so thematically there's that but also just adolescence you know your body is changing and is doing shit you don't understand you have desires and you know so I wanted to play around with all that it might be a hot mess or it might be a yep. hit we'll see oh,
0: we'll find out you never know Kenitra help me out what is a Lugaroo
2: a is a werewolf, um, and it's like a Creole Cajun um, tradition, oh. and um, yeah, it's basically like a Louisiana werewolf, and it's just French.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have um, no but, idea. That's you know, great. with her
2: sandwich from the Delta oh, and that sort of thing, <laughs> and there are some writers. Um, Actually, you know, have you been reading some of the romance now and the urban fantasy stuff? Because I was years some, ago. I was years there, ago. There is some. there. There's, I can't think of her name right now. Uh, Lynn Emery. Yeah. She writes um, these Rashawn something series and she's a conjure woman. I've heard of this series. And <laughs> like one of the, one of the books dealt with the Lugaroo. So there were the things, ever. So you're dealing with ancestors, the dead and all of these things. And it makes sense because so much of Southern Gothic history is based in blackness. You have the influence of um, the indigenous folks of the African folks of the European folks of um, especially once you get to New Orleans, Southern Louisiana, you have a lot of the Caribbean influence and those sorts mm-hmm. of things. So you have these sort of mixing of so many cultures. It makes sense that it's a high fantasy area. It, yeah. You know, you just have so much of potential of so many things and people's coming and mixing together both willfully, right. willingly and unwillingly. Um, what I will say is uh, I, I'm not writing a, a novel, but I am working <laughs> on like a, a graphic novels and adapting some of the high fantasy. uh um working with some folks of adapting some of their short stories and books. I can't say names yet into graphic novels. So again, where we have folks uh, who are usually marginalized seeing themselves visually, right? In another genre. And in ways that in which, you know, you might not get full funding for um, a book or, uh, I mean, for a film or for a, a series, but you can realize some of these things visually where people can see themselves. I think it's such a powerful thing. And we also have so many folks who will read a graphic novel while not necessarily read a 500 page uh, novel. And, you know, that's who I want to make sure, because I'm not just interested in contemporary folks and what they like, but I'm very much into influencing who's going to be, uh, the N.K. Jimmerson, their own version, that's 20, awesome. 25 years from now. And that's, that's awesome. about getting kids to see themselves within fantasy and to see themselves manifested um, in the many different ways in which they manifest, whether that be as queer, as trans, whether that be as Black, that's as cool. Indigenous, um, as femme, um, as masculine. Um, you know, I want to make sure that we are laying those seeds With those folks now, because so they don't have to do a podcast on something as horrific as what happened at Game of Thrones. Amen. See, I think about generations. I'm like, generation, I want you miserable for generations. I don't, when I go after you, I don't just want you to be miserable. I want generations of your family to as well. That's why I'm so into the Game of Thrones thing, because I'm into like the house. This is my family. I'm very New Orleans. We're very much into like loyalty to our family. So I was like, I get this. I, I will take out everybody up in here if this me and my family stand. Yo, I got, this. so I totally got that understanding of, and House Carrell, rest in peace. That was my house. That was my house. I loved it. I loved the women. I loved Lady Olena. I was there for Lady Olena. I love that she killed all the serious kids. I love that she like poisoned herself. You know, this is what, you know, there were certain moments. I think certain moments. D and D were very good at manifesting. I wouldn't be surprised if someone else had written those scenes, though, uh, because it showed actual talent. Shade. Um. So, um, when she was like, "Tell Cersei, it was me," and yeah. I reimagined it. You never play this podcast for my mama, but I reimagined Lady Olena <laughs> telling Jamie, "Tell that bitch, it was me. I did it. I killed all the kids. I was responsible for every single thing that was wrong in her life." And that's it. Scene, I die. Like, I want to be that petty and evil one day. Like, I'm like, I can see how she was like, because, you know, you killed my whole family. You killed my whole family. You blow them up. Even the crappy one, because her, her grandson wasn't worth much of shit. He wasn't. But then he was still hers. And she loves him. And so when you blow all of them up, yeah, you're going to have to you have to deal with it. I'm going to see your ending.
0: Remind me never to piss you off, Okay. <laughs> So I guess uh, we should probably wrap up. But one thing, I, one last question I wanted to ask. I mean, we've been we've been throwing a heck of a lot of shade at Game of Thrones and that's totally fair. So, uh, But we've also been talking a little bit about some of the other fantasies that are out now that are doing a better job, that are being more representative of black people, of people of color, of women, of, of queer people and all of that sort of stuff. So I want to go around the the proverbial table and I want you to tell me what's the one thing that our listeners should go to amazon and order right now what's the one thing that you should be having on your uh, bedside table right now shiloh why don't you get started with you
1: uh anything by nk jemisin oh my all of it just just go get all of it
0: (laughs) all right tell me why why
1: her world building and structure is so amazing i read the the first one in the broken earth trilogy and when i hit the point where you realize how all of these narrators are connected i was like holy fuck yes this is amazing and i need to go back and reread it knowing that now because it's got all of those layers that you don't necessarily pick up until that aha moment so yeah she's an amazing writer (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay, so one vote for anything by N.K. Jemisin. Uh, over to you, Ebony. What's your What's your pick that the readers should pick up right now?
2: Anything by Nettie Akorafor, um, I think that she is just incredible. She writes for both youth and young adults. Um, one of um, my favorite books by her is Akata Witch, because what she does is she is thinking through some of the very same issues I'm thinking through as a Black American, as a Nigerian American. So Akata Witch really is about hybridity and thinking about you know identity, although using um, speculative narration to do. So so Akata, you know, um, is a word we've been kind of banding about in diasporic conversations because sometimes they're saying, well, we call black Americans, you know, Nigerians will call black Americans Akata, which is um, uh, I I don't know if it's Yoruba or Igbo for straight cat. It's your butt for straight yeah. cat or somebody who's far from home. But one of the things I've learned from my Nigerian-American friends is that they get called back too because they're caught between two worlds. Like their parents were born and raised in Nigeria. But if they were born and raised here, it's a very different thing. So I um, see her very much as a mentor and a guide for the kind of work that I want to write for young people. Um, but just on this side of the Atlantic and thinking about, you know, the Black US and Black Caribbean and our unique um, situation here. So um, she's just wonderful. And everything um, that she writes is glorious. And I can't wait to see her adapted for Small and Big Screen. Mm-hmm. So. I would reiterate both of them, um, N.K. Jemison uh, and, and The Broken Earth. Uh, my students love it. And I had a, one of my football players who didn't read guess that. He was like, what if? So and so and so and so. And I was like, oh, my God. And, you know, that book, that's a 500 page book. And it's always intimidating to my students, but they dig in and they get into it. It's an awesome book. And, you know, even some of her early work, uh, the Inheritance Trilogy, you can see her building. And oh, my God, I love the Red, red Dirt Witch as a short story by her is amazing. Um, same thing with, uh, Nettie Akora for, I think the Benty series is excellent, very, very teachable. And Lagoon, which imagines an alien invasions that happens in Lagos, Nigeria, right? So for, for once something doesn't begin in America or in, um, or in Western Europe. It's really, really interesting and very well done. I would also put forward Victor Lavelle. Um, his The Ballad of Black Tom" is so good, so teachable. It's being adapted. Um, and everyone that we've mentioned, their work is being adapted into television and our film. Um, I would also, um, recommend Peter Jelly Clark. Yes. Wrote this short novella called The Black God's Drum. I'm going to teach it this coming semester. It is badass. And it's set in New Orleans. I'm a little biased, but, um, you know, I just love, what's going on there. And I would also put out Tommy Adeyemi. I'm very excited about where her work is going um, and the world building that she's doing. And I also think, I, I, what I do also love is we're giving, we're now giving writers of color, women writers, all these, the space to become great. Right? Um, you know, we have um, where people, you know, N.K. Jemisin, Her Inheritance Trilogy was solid. It was good. But she's winning all these awards because she's had the opportunity to grow and stretch and do all her things. And where she brought out the Broken Earth series that just blew everyone's heads off. And I think we have to give folks the time to become the writers they're meant to be. And we have to have that patience. And I see that even with George R.R. Martin in where what I admire about him is he's like, yeah. I'm learning and growing and trying to do better and develop these things. Each book and each uh, the depth of characterization is subsequent, subsequently better than the last. And that's for me. I don't expect you, like Shiloh, I don't expect your book to be absolutely perfect when you're doing it, but you're trying and growing and showing all these things and you're stretching and making these efforts. And for me, it's about the efforts and the work you're putting into it and are you having the opportunity and taking advantage of the ability to grow. And that's what I think is just so... um disheartening about what happened with dnd um ebony spoke about it with john the characterization of john snow we they they don't grow you don't grow and i don't understand someone being within the realm of the literary within the realm of fantasy within the realm of even the basic concept of the journey and learning nothing along the way mm. that's deep
0: yeah, I think if if there's no better place to stop, I think we've, we, we seem to have found it. I want to take a moment to thank our entire panel. Ebony, Elizabeth, Thomas, Kenitra, Brooks, and Shiloh Carroll. Thank you so much for participating.
2: Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. This was great. It was awesome. Cathartic. <laughs> I know.
0: Like an exorcism.
2: Maybe I won't be so angry about it anymore.
0: <laughs> I, it. I don't know about that. I think that's a deep, deep well. But <laughs> <laughs>